is super inventive. It's letters to leaders number one. And it's out of a four-part series. So you'll, you should be able to find them really easy, okay? Um, and so what we're going to talk about, and the reason we're going to talk about this uh, is twofold. So the, the, what we're going to talk about over this section is deacons and elders. The reason we're talking about deacons and elders is because in October is time to elect new or re-elect or however that's going to work, deacons and elders for the congregation. And I, I don't know where you grew up going to church or if you didn't grow up going to church or what you know about church leadership or how that functions or anything about that. I have no idea what you know. And so I want to share with you uh, what the Bible says and I, I believe how we ought to think about that so that not only this year, but years moving forward then, we can make good biblical decisions on these things, okay? So some of these things may be outside of what you uh, were expecting, maybe not, I, I don't know, because I don't know all of you, I don't know your, your framework or how that works, uh, but that's what this is going to be about, okay? So the way that we're going to start this whole thing is we're going to talk about authority. Now when I was young, I didn't like authority. Now that I'm old, I don't really like authority. I know some of you are like, well, you're not old. That's fine. I still got plenty more years to not really like authority, right? Um, that's just how I was wired. Maybe you were wired the same way. Maybe not. I, I know that some people have no problem with, you know, people over them and doing those kind of things, but it's never been that way for me, and it's caused nothing but problems throughout my whole life. I distinctly remember, this is how ridiculous it was. I probably have told you this story before, but I'll tell you again because I'm shameless. So here's the deal. Uh, I was in high school, and we were in the cafeteria, and uh, me and my buddies were being stupid, just like we normally are during lunch break. And somebody, I probably me, tipped somebody's tray over and the milk went everywhere. And of course, you know, the lunch person was like, you're going to have to clean that up. And I was like, I'm not cleaning anything up. You know, you're the one who gets paid for this. I'm not, I, I was a jerk. Okay. I was not a Christian. So just, you know, keep that in mind. I was like, I'm not cleaning anything up. You get paid to clean this up. I'm not cleaning anything up. And then so the principal came over and was like, John, you're going to have to clean that up. I was like, I'm not cleaning it up. And he said, you know, well, you have, you have to clean it up or we're going to do this or whatever. I was like, okay, well, I'll put the paper towel on it and it'll soak up, but I'm not doing anything more than that. And he's like, all right, well, we're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, well, I'll put the paper towel on it and I'll wipe it around, but I'm not throwing it away. Okay, John, well, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, I'll put the paper towel on and I'll throw the thing on there and I'll wipe it around and I'll throw it away, but you can't make me like it. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, listen, dude, all right, so... So when I was younger, I used to spend a lot of time in the school office, a lot of time in detention, uh, all those kind of things because I had a problem with authority. You can ask my parents. Unfortunately, they understood that all too well. Well, authority is good. And we want to talk about authority because there's authority in all kinds of areas of our lives and we need to do better with that. And so I'm going to look at that biblically. But before we do that, I would like to go to the ultimate authority. Will you, will you join with me as, as we pray? Dearest Father in heaven, we gather today to celebrate your goodness, your wisdom, your grace. You are worthy of our praise. And our hearts gladly bring it to you. But Father, we confess that we have a natural sinful bent in our heart to recoil from authority. But we thank you, Father, that you are using your authority to reconcile us to yourself rather than to abandon us. Jesus, we pray that your spirit would dwell richly within us so that we might not only submit to our God, our Father, but the God-given authorities. And that we would practice the authority that you have given to each of us according to your goodness and the righteous standards that you have laid out in your word. So it's in your name that we do pray. Amen. 
Uh, so now I, I started it this way. So these are letters to leaders. Okay, and you might say, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a leader. I don't believe you. You're a leader in some capacity, whether you know it or not. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. Uh, you're either a leader in your workplace or you're a leader in your home. And maybe you think to yourself, hey, I'm single. I got you there. Well, guess what? Somebody somewhere looks up to you. You have a nephew or a niece or a cousin or a brother or a sister, and you may not have an official title of, you know, boss. But that doesn't mean that people aren't looking up to you. And by the way, Christian, if you are a Christian, there is a world out there that is looking at you, and you are, whether you like it or not, a delegated instrument of authority simply because you're made in the image of God and you're redeemed by Christ, and so therefore you are a prince or princess in the kingdom, and therefore you have been given authority. So gotcha, okay? So what we need to discuss firstly, then, if you're a note taker, is this. Authority is a good gift of God. I wish I had known that before. I wish I had believed that before. And so I want to start there with you. Authority is a good gift of God. And the first sub-point I have of that, if you're a note taker, is authority structure was given before the fall. I think sometimes we forget about that because we know our own bosses or our own workplace or our own mismanaged authority. Maybe you had a father that wasn't a good father or a mother that wasn't a good mother or whatever. But in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, uh, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion, that's authority, that's another word for that, rulership, right, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So every created thing. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them, which means both parties have universal or uh, what we might call um, creation level authority over all of God's creation, right? So he created them, both male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, put it under the authority that I've just given to you and have dominion, rulership over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, okay? So we need to understand that humanity was created in the image of God to rule, that's your rightful position. That is part of the reason why I think we sinfully recoil at authority because of, of the fall. But humanity was given this command to rule. Did you realize that? This is a command. And this is a command that God gave us in the time of perfection before the fall. Now, because of the fall, you know, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to do all these things. And uh, after knowing all that stuff, you know, deer run away from me instead of towards me and my and my gun, right? Like, so that's all part of the fall. That's, that's how that is. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that God has given this as a good gift, authority. Second sub-point of this authority being a good gift is that this authority structure is going to be renewed in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, we just sang a song. There's nothing wrong with the song. I like the song. It says, heaven and earth, or earth is going to dissolve like snow, Right? Great imagery, right? I, I can just think of this myself. And on those hot summer days, you can just kind of watch it go away. Or if you go outside and you pour water on it or whatever, you can just kind of watch it go away. Or if you put salt on it, you can, you can almost hear it melting, the ice and those kind of things. Great imagery. I totally get that. Here's what we forget, though. This earth is going to pass away like snow. Yep, absolutely. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a renewing of these things. 
We're not just going to be Casper-like, you know, floating through the ether. We're not just going to spend all of eternity sitting on clouds, strumming harps all the time. That's not what heaven's going to be. And if that's what you thought heaven was going to be, then you can look forward to maybe next year when we preach through this section because I'm, I'm feeling maybe called to do that based on how I read this book. Um, but the authority structure is going to be renewed in the new heavens. And there's still going to be bad news for guys like me, right? There's still going to be authority in the new heaven and the new earth. And I'll prove it to you right now. Matthew 19, 28 says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, there's some authority right there. He's got a throne. What's the point of a throne? To show your leadership, to show your rulership. Kings sit on thrones, right? You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. Wait a minute. Judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, these disciples, these apostles, are going to have delegated authority. And I believe it's not just them. They're going to judge these 12 tribes of Israel. Who's going to judge the Gentiles? Well, we're Gentiles, right? It would make sense that some of us, maybe somebody even in this room, might be on a throne judging other nations just as these uh, men of Israel are judging Israel. Now, let me clarify terminology. We think of judgment as rendering verdicts, and that's not wrong, but that's not what this context is talking about. What this context is talking about isn't rendering verdicts. There's only one judge who renders verdicts, and that is God the Father, right? The great white throne judgment, all those kind of things. This is an idea of, uh, just like our government functions, sort of, our government, not like that, because our government's wonky, clearly, right? But there is an idea of, okay, you've got the person at the head, and then you've got people underneath that, and then you've got people underneath that, and people underneath that. Well, so the Father is the head of all those things, and this is going to be delegated out so that Jesus doesn't have to meet with every single one of the individual tribes, uh, and even those people of those tribes, it's going to go through these other men. The structure of delegation is currently happening in heaven right now. Where is Jesus right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And, by the way, there's angels, principalities and powers, right? He uses that terminology. In the heavenly realm, there are angels and archangels, and there are seraphim and cherubim, and the reason they have different names is because they have different structures. There are some angels that their role is simply to be around the throne, their, their faces are covered, their feet are covered, and they're praising God night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? That's, that's their job, and, and rightly so, right? Yeah. And then there are other angels, what it talks about in the Old Testament, that are going to and fro, delivering messages. It even talks about how Dave, uh, not David, Daniel was praying to the Lord, and he sent a messenger, and he was, he was delayed because of the Prince of Persia. So there are levels and principalities and powers and the structures. And so this delegation is going to continue forever, but without sin, praise the Lord, right? Because uh, it will be now, it will be our joy, it will be my joy to submit to authority. It'll be your joy to submit to authority. We will recognize it as something good, a good gift from God. Uh, another reason we know that authority and the, is a gift of God is because the authority structure is found in the Trinity itself. That's part of being made in God's image. That's why he gave us dominion and authority. 
and why we're going to see in Scripture why there's a difference in authority in even male-female roles or in church roles. And these are good things, and we see that in the Trinity itself. And again, I can prove it to you with God's Word, John 5, 30. I can do nothing on my own. Who said that? Jesus says that. I can do nothing on my own? But wait a minute, Pastor. My theology class told me that Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. Yes, absolutely. And ultimately, he, every knee will bow. But while he was here, he took on the form of a servant. And so everything that he did, everything, he did by direct instruction from the Father. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And even now, then, in the Trinity, uh, John 14, 26, I don't have it up here, but you can either look it up, or you can trust me, or you can jot it down, you can look it up later. And here's something interesting, John 14, 26, and also John 15, 26, okay? He says in 26 of 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said. And then in 1526, this is also for you if you're, you're like, the Trinity is not in the Bible. Yeah, okay. Stay with me, though. So Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own unless the Father tells me, right? Jesus said also in 1426, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, right? And then John 1526 says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So wait a minute now, who's sending the Holy Spirit? Whose spirit is it? Uh, who's over all this thing? And so even here we see, don't ask me to explain the Trinity. I can't explain the Trinity, but what I can, I can explain to you is it appears from this text and others, of course, that the Father is over the Son, the Son is over the Spirit, and all of them are working together. But there is, even in the Trinity, a hierarchical structure because somehow the Father and the Son have, a, have authority to send the Spirit and direct the Spirit. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus, who then has come so that we might know who the Father is. Do you see this authority structure? Even the Spirit within us is what causes us to have the desire to submit to the authority of Christ in our lives, the authority of the Father over us. And so lastly, for this first section... Uh, the, the end of this, if authority is good, it's a good gift from God, then we can see that authority structure is necessary for flourishing. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 says this, uh, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland from your head and pendants for your neck. That doesn't sound bad. Uh, Psalm 1, which I'm sure that you... you Y'all probably have it memorized, so you can just say it with me if you want. But blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. That sounds good. That sounds like flourishing. 
especially for what we know about what we know about uh, weather recently. You, you know, I'm, I'm not a news hound, but I also, I don't live under a rock, and so I see some of these things. There's immense droughts in some places, right, currently. And then also, later, there's immense flooding in some places, where they get like a year worth of rain in like a couple days or something like that. If you have that kind of rain, you're going to wash all those plants away. If you have no rain, those plants are going to get scorched. The best scenario, the scenario for flourishing, apparently, is being planted next to a stream of water. That plant yields its fruit in season and out of season. It never withers. In all it does, it prospers. You see, when we submit to the authority of God, we prosper. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm just giving you general principles. Does, does submitting to the authority of God mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you? No, of course not. The Bible doesn't even say that. In this world, you are going to have persecutions. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have strife. It's going to be the case. But it's also going to be the case that when we submit to the authority of Christ, we will be able to make it through. We have a hope that surpasses the world's understanding. So God created and institutes this structure of authority, and therefore we know it's a good thing, and we know that it's necessary for flourishing. Are you convinced of that? Are we ready to move on to the next thing? So the next thing is this. The authority comes in different forms and functions, okay? Now, we kind of intrinsically know that. I'm going to give you four this morning. I also want for you to understand, some of you out there very well may be like me, and you're looking for loopholes. And what I mean by that is, you're right, Pastor. Uh, the, 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 it says submit to government. But, I, listen, that's between you and the Lord, okay? Uh, but here's what I can tell you. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's. His word says these things. It's not for me to help you implement them. Uh, well, it is for me to help you understand them. It's up to you to implement them in whatever your conscience says that it is, okay? But we also have scripture, and so we can't take liberty uh, just because we don't like the way certain things are going, is I guess what I'm saying. That's as political as I want to get because I want to preach the Bible, not politics, okay? So we're going to move on. So you can look for loopholes if you want, but that's between you and God. I'm just going to give you the text, all right? So uh, I'm going to give you four forms and functions uh, that God has instituted. God has established governmental authority. Like it or not, that's how it is, okay? And I can tell you this, even if you don't like what's happening currently, like in Michigan or locally or in the nation, guess what? It's better than the other countries. I'm just here to tell you that, okay? So whatever. Uh, Romans 13.1 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And if you've heard anybody preach on this anytime ever, and they use this text, they have said, and if they haven't, shame on them, Paul is writing this letter while in prison at Rome for having his faith, openly having his faith. Paul will later be murdered by the government of which he is telling in more than one place, 1 Peter 2, we'll go there too, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Which one's the exception? I don't know. It says everyone. Uh, whether it is the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. Whose will is it? Pastor John's? 
President Biden's? No, it's the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, are there loopholes for this? Sure. Should we obey God rather than man? That's a loophole, okay? But in the text of what we've just talked about, you cannot argue with me that God has instituted the government as a good authority. And beloved, there's going to be government authority in the new heavens and the new earth. He says he's going to redeem the nations, meaning that there is actual nations. He says that there's going to be kings over these in providences. He says those things in Revelations. So it, get used to it. Uh, the good news is that in the new heavens and the new earth, we don't have to worry about people finding things in houses and not knowing who they belong to or any of those kind of things because we're going to be sinless and the rulers are going to be sinless and it's going to be a theocratic society based on the sun who will be our light forever shining on us. Amen? And so we can rejoice in the authority to come on the new heavens and the new earth. But God has created government. Their authority is given by God. Did not Jesus say that to Pontius Pilate? You can't do anything unless that authority was given to you. Uh, and so all of this, we are to be subject to them because it's God's will. Okay? Next place is familial authority. Ephesians, we're going to speed up a little bit too. So Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I know you might not like that, but maybe, maybe he's just not being a good husband. Uh, Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Man, if only my mom had made me memorize that uh, when I was a kid, right? And, and even when we do have him memorize it, it doesn't always work, does it? So, you know, um, there's that. But there's family structure. Now, uh, in the family structure, right, you've got the, the husband as the head and then the wife as the helper and the children who are under them. That's not how every family looks because our world is broken. So you have all kinds of different family structures. Sometimes you have just the dad, no mom in the picture, and you have the kids. And that, that's, or sometimes you have no dad in the picture and you have mom and, and just the kids. And, and there's all kinds of ways that this works out. But the, God created this family structure. In He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth right? Have dominion over it. So God creates marriage. God creates family. God gives it a structure. And so like it or not, I mean, this is the structure that he's given to us. It goes God, husbands, wives, co-laborers, but when decisions, you know, like, and then children, and then, you know, pets, I guess. It's not stated, but we're, we're supposed to have dominion, right? And so it's biblical. It's there. Um, so you don't make decisions based on just the pet or just the children. It's got to be a co-dependent, uh, 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 co I guess, for uh, decision-making that's based off of God's word for your family. And if this is done biblically, it is pleasurable to everybody involved. It is stable and pleasurable. Uh, next level of authority. God established occupational authority. Uh, Ephesians 6 <clears throat> 5 through 9 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Man, is that a controversial text for today's age, right? But it's there. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So who are they really serving here? They're supposed to be serving Christ knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. And then he gives this instruction too. Masters, do the same to them and stop 
you're threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Did you know that slavery in general was happening for since the beginning of time, really, because of the fall? And it is Christ in people that allowed for emancipations and freedoms. It has always been the case that God has uh, came for the oppressed and the broken. First Peter 2.18 says, uh, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So again, I'm talking about occupational, and, and you're going to say to me, hey, slavery is not an occupation. In our context of what we know it as, you're correct. Historically, a lot of times it was. And the way that this would work is I would have to go to, to some, I would have to go to the local farmer who has a, who has a nice big farm, and I would have to say, hey, uh, I can't afford to buy your grain. And he'd say, that's okay. You can come work for me for, for free, and then I will provide the sustenance to your family. And I would say, okay, I, I'm going to do that because I want to provide for my family. So I guess this is how it is, right? I don't know if you knew this. They didn't have, like, internet back then and electricity back then. So it was very difficult to live. And so you, you had to make these choices. And then even in the Old Testament, they would say, hey, after seven years of that, after seven years of that, you need to release that person from their debt that they're owing you and set them free. And then they have the option. They actually, there were some people who actually chose, no, 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 it's better, it's easier for me to stay in this position, and I'm going to continue because you're a good master, you pay well, I don't have to worry about it. And they said, okay, so take an awl and then stab it through their ear or something like that and pierce their ear, and then everybody will know, okay, this person has had a chance to be free, they're choosing not that because this is a better situation for their family, so they're going to stay in that way, okay? And so when we think of this, we think immediately of all the horrors that have happened, but that is not what it's talking about here. It's a different context. But he also says, even if that is the case, Christian, and your masters are hard, then still submit to them. So let's stop talking about slavery for a minute, and let's apply that to us today. Is your boss a jerk? That's too bad. The Bible says if you're a Christian, work for Christ, not for Bob. Okay? Let Bob be a jerk. Sorry if your name's Bob this morning, right? Uh... I'm trying to think through of all the names in the congregation. Like, who can I, what name can I say that I don't, I'm not, I don't think, right? So, so if your middle name's Bob, you're bummer. Maybe John is just a jerk to work for. Well, you're working for Christ, not for John, then. And understand that you're not responsible for John's actions, for Bob's actions as the boss, as the employer, right? You are to just work for Christ, and don't worry about them. They're going to get what's due to them and or what's even better than that. Maybe, just maybe, Christ will use your attitude, even though Bob's a jerk, that you might be able to speak into Bob's life then and he might actually come to know Christ. There might be a day where Bob comes to work and he says, what in the, how come you are always 
happy here. What is going on? Like, I yell at you. I treat you like garbage or whatever all the time. And you just, yes, sir, with a smile on your face. And you whistle as you work. How, how is this happening? Now, the main reason we're talking about all this, and so I don't want this to be last on us, is God has established ecclesiastical uh, authority. And I don't mean the book of Ecclesiastes where everything is vanity. Uh, what I mean is uh, uh, ecclesia, the church. The, so he, he has established ecclesia, a church-wide authority also. Now, here at Allegan Bible Church, uh, we practice it biblically. That, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm being serious, but I'm kind of teasing if you're from another church or if you grew up in a different church or whatever. There's lots of churches that do it for various ways. There's all kinds of theologians that debate this, but what I mean by biblically is we have two classes of leadership. We have deacons and we have elders, okay? And we're going to tease those out through the next couple of weeks. But uh, the ecclesiastical authority, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, church members are to obey their leaders. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls. And I'm not, and, and you might say, well, that's a little convenient for you to preach that this morning. No, it's, it's extremely inconvenient. Because you could take it as, hey, this is pastor just trying to have a power trip. I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking about your elders and your deacons, the men who are sitting out there today. You are to obey your leaders because it's for your good. And by the way, don't let, so power trip, power schmip. Do you understand that someday I will literally have to give an account for how I shepherded you? I mean, that's on the docket. There are judgments happening. They are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Why? Because that's not going to be of advantage to you. What he's saying, what he's literally saying is here is, oh, listen to your leaders and don't make it harder for them than it already is because y'all are hard, okay? <laughs> because I'm hard and I'm sinful and I don't like authority. And that's why y'all are hard too because we're all the same. We buck at authority. So historically, church leadership has taken the form of deacons and elders. Deacon, di, di, diaconus, or, uh, is, is, means servant. That's just what that means. Just a fancy word for servant, deacon. It's a transliteration. Elder, there's two words for that, uh, presbyteros and episkopos, which means things like supervisor, overseer, leader, shepherd, those kind of words. And we're going to tease that out again, okay? So in closing, the final thing, authority at ABC is made up of deacons and elders. Why are we talking about this? There's four reasons. You ready? The first one is so that you can aspire. What do I mean by that? I want all men here to perk up for a minute. And I want all women here to perk up for a minute. So is everybody perky? Ready? This is what I mean. The saying is trustworthy. So can you trust it? I mean, doubly so. It's from the Bible, and he says it's trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Here's what I'm getting at this. Every single man in this room should want a position of overseer at Allegan Bible Church. Without question. Every single woman in this room should want their husband to be an overseer at Allegan Bible Church. Why? 
because it is a noble task. Not because you get to put something on your resume, not because you get to show off for the congregation, not because you get an inside ear at board meetings and you get to hear what happens before anything else happens, not because, no, because the Bible says that this is a noble task. And I, 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 if the Bible says it's a noble task, my ears get perky at it. And I hope that yours are too. Men, you should want this for yourself. Uh, we should want this for one another. Men, women, you should want this for your friends' husbands. Men, you should want this for the other men. You should be praying that those men would be to the office of overseer. You should want this for Elegant Bible Church because it's, it's healthy for a church to have this. This means when we do this, and when we have men who are in these positions, that means God is actually working at our church, that he's maturing, that he's sanctifying, that we are stepping into the roles that God has set out for us at the beginning and the foundation of the world, that we are doing the work um, that he has set before us. So you should aspire to this. The second reason that we're talking about this is so that we can assess. What do I mean by that? Well, Acts 6.3, I think, helps launch us to that so that we can assess. Therefore, brothers, he said, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom he will appoint to this duty. We don't just pick elders because we like the clothes they wear, because they've got nice hair, because they smell good, or any kind of other ridiculous reasons that people might pick things as, you know, class leadership or whatever. They've got best smile, so therefore they should be an elder. No. He says, therefore, pick them out, men of, of what? Good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom to appoint to this duty. So you should be nominating one another at some point before October so that the current board and so that the church congregation as a whole can assess these men for these positions. Because just because you're nominated for this does not mean that you're going to get it. There may be something glaring that we don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bob, maybe Bob nominates you and we come over and we talk to your wife, Betty, and Betty says, there's something that you don't know about John, that you need to know about John before you make this decision. And there needs to be a plurality. Why? So that your pastor doesn't have a power trip and just do whatever he wants in the church. I hope that that's not my heart, but I also understand my heart that is sinful. And so we need a plurality of leadership. A good repeat. That's why he picked seven of them, not just one. And they need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And then they need to be appointed for this duty, which is the, the next, so that they can be appointed. This is what Paul writes to Titus in 1 Timothy 5. I'm sorry, he writes to Titus in Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This is the charge of the church to pick people to lead well. Work still remains to be done then, and work remains to be done now until our Lord appears. And so a point in every town means in Allegan too. 
Now, unlike back then, we don't just have the church at Allegan. Because of our sinful proclivities, we now have all kinds of different churches because we can't get along until there's something really bad that we can all agree on that we hate equally as much as the way that those people worship and those people have that color curtain and those people drive those kind of cars and whatever. Now, there are some serious differences that we do need to divide on. I'm not making light of those, and, and I'll be happy to discuss those with you if you have questions about them. But because there's no Allegan to the church of Allegan, well, the Allegan Bible Church, we need to appoint elders and deacons here as well. And then, and then this is the last thing, okay? So I, I, want, I know we went a little bit over, but I really want your attention here because this is, this, is, this is the final stake in the coffin, so to speak. Are you ready? There's probably a better. This is the final, this is the cherry on top is actually, that's a better way of putting this for where I actually, forget I said steak and coffin. This is the cherry on top because this is a good thing, not a steak and a coffin. Here it is. This is the cherry so that we might attain. Now, what do I mean by that? just so that we can be a church in town that says, well, we have elders and deacons, we have this many elders, and we have this many deacons, and we're doing such a great job. Or just so we can say, hey, you know, this is our process, and we've done a really good job formulating this process, and whatever. No, 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 no. Nothing like that, even close to it. Are you ready? Here's what I want for us to attain. Ephesians uh, 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of his Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together in every joint to which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What I want for us to attain is equipping of the saints, is the building up of the body, is unity in the faith, is fullness in Christ. That should excite you. You should want that. That's why it's important for us to understand authority rightly. It's why it's important for us to talk about elders and deacons. It's why it's important that over this next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the qualifications for these things, and then I'm going to deliver a charge to you as the body. Because here's the deal. I can preach every single Sunday. I'm not saying that I do, I, I, but it, let's, say, let's say I preach every Sunday, and they're just amazing messages full of good stuff. That's great. That's That's great. 
but it says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. It says that he gave a multitude of other leaders with different gifts, and that it was through that multitude of leaders that we are as a body attaining the fullness of Christ. And I don't know about you, there's nothing I want more than to attain the fullness of Christ. I look forward to the sanctification process that you all bring to me, and I hope you do the same with one another. And the way that God has established this is by these delegatings of authorities that we would work together as the body. So when I was a teenager, I had a problem with authority. But now as a Christian, now as an adult, now as a husband and a father, I still have a problem with authority. But my problem is a little different. My problem now is not that I don't like authority. My problem now is that I see the value and the depth of authority, and my heart longs to be better in all those positions that God has called me. And brothers and sisters, I pray that you too would have the same problem with authority. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we desire to submit to your authority, for you are good. We thank you that in your wisdom you have given us the good gift of delegated authority. We ask that you would help us to submit to those who are over us as we desire to submit to you. For those of us who are ourselves in positions of authority, we pray that you would help us to lead well and in accordance with your word and your will. As members or attenders of Allegan Bible Church, help us to strive after you to seek godly leadership, to lead your bride until you should return to bring us home to be with you forevermore. It's in your name we pray. Amen.